Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. We can still get the same effect, but not, you know, from the garbage audio from this thing. Did I tell you why this this uh, thing doesn't work? Because you uh, sweat too much. Close. Very close. In fact, that's that's basically the reason. Um, okay, so I got these Beats... Uh, wireless headphones that were supposed to be wireless um at at some point in time uh, i think that was like two to three christmases ago right then um and these are just like the regular over ear i don't know they're they're just the regular ones right over time the wireless function stopped working so then i was like okay let me i can just plug it in it's no big deal i'll just plug this into my phone still same effect right but then I had the gen- the genius idea that I was going to take, um, you know, because I like to meditate. I do guided meditations while in the sauna. But in order to oh, do that, yeah. the wireless function used to work with that because I could keep the phone in the locker, have it play, and the wireless headphones would still work. And so it was perfect. But once the wireless functionality went out on those, or I forget why that happened originally... Then I used the wired function, and it turns out none of this stuff is graded to be in that moist of an environment. So all just, yeah, duh, and or hello. So um, I kind of fucked up there. (laughs) And uh, now now I just have headphones that really only work in the one... in the one sort of way. I need them wired. The microphone doesn't work. The only microphone that I have that works is the reliable Blue Yeti, which I'm actually pretty happy that mine is blue. It, it is a Blue Yeti microphone. I recently bought a Blue Yeti, but I'm letting one of the actors from the podcast use it. Mm. Are, are they recording uh, at home or? Well, because uh, well, I noticed main- your, your whole little studio back there is gone. It's just down for a day. Oh, it goes okay. up and down. It goes up and down. We have one more day. I think maybe two more days of recording. And then we're done recording the podcast. For all eight episodes. All eight episodes. Wow. Yeah. I love it. You're getting ahead of yourself. No, I'm behind. I'm way behind. <laughs> oh. The uh, the sixth episode comes out tomorrow on Tuesday. And uh, I haven't written the seventh episode. Oh, shit. But the eighth one is written. Okay, so so you know how it ends. See, so that's basically unlike the what everyone's beef with. Um, did you like Lost? Did you watch it all? No, I think I watched the first episode, and then that's it. Oh, so you never were in? Yeah, no, I, I was never into Lost. See, most people were in for, including myself. <clears throat> most people were in for like the first season because it built up all this intrigue. But as the seasons go on, they keep opening up. They have this like real nasty problem with opening up more lines of intrigue without solving anything because hard committing to solving any of the previous stuff would mean that you start to like taper away the initial, you know, the mystery of the show or like what's actually going on. And you have to keep people, you know, not to be punny here, but you have to keep people lost. You have to keep people in the dark on that kind of shit. Right. (laughs) So the problem was for me is that that show just like got so almost boring in a sense because it's like they just kept on like, the, oh, now the fucking island has time travel on it for some fucking reason and like all this other kind of crazy shit. And it just got so dull as a result of that because they weren't solving anything. But the point is, is that when they did kind of end the series after six seasons, um it kind of felt as if they either had an obvious ending the whole time and they just kind of dragged out the series just to like keep something on TV or alternatively, and this is my more preferred theory is that they actually didn't know how they were going to end it. So then they just kind of did something because the ending was super obvious. Like it was, it was the, the first thing people said like halfway through season one. And then it ends up being that, after six seasons of just like spo- like twists and all this kind of stuff. So 
it's a good thing that you actually already have the ending all mapped out because that means that you are doing something with like a directed purpose. You're not like just, oh, I don't know, whatever happens in the story happens. And then like you're you're making it seem like it's all according to plan, which in the lost case, it was not. Right. Uh, the idea behind you and the I, I wrote the ending first because I just wanted to know where we were going. Yeah. And I made all the decisions to get there easier. Yeah. I, so I mean, took all the guessing out the the work of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a more directed and that probably makes it more tight and more like, you know, it'll, it gives you the freedom to kind of do things with if you already know how the story structure is going to be, then you know how to develop characters within that story structure. But that's kind of what I didn't finish Game of Thrones. I uh, watched five seasons. And the only reason I even got that far was because the girl I was dating at the time was into it. So I was just watching it with her. But my God, what a horrendous waste of time. Okay, so now my second question. Did you watch Game of Thrones? No, I never got into it. See, you're a smart man. Uh, you didn't get into Lost and you didn't get into Game of Thrones. You dodged two of the biggest time wasters. My, uh, uh, every time someone asks me that, I say I watched it up to the point where they pushed the kid out the window. So don't say anything after that. <laughs> I like that. That's And that's, that's how the first episode ends. And so it's... And I think people take it seriously because that was a big thing with Game of Thrones. Spoilers and yeah, it was huge. people ruining stuff. And uh, yeah. so I think if I make that joke, people don't talk about it. So I hear about it for nine hours. Honestly, I'm probably going to borrow that. You should. I'm probably going to borrow that. because Everyone I, should borrow that. I watched five seasons of it, I think, or maybe it was four. I forget. And I remember the exact episode where I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. Like, I just... It, it got... Basically, my complaint about Game of Thrones, and eventually this will cycle back into why Tucson Heat is superior. <laughs> uh, but my okay. problem with it's, Game it's of Thrones... It, it is. It is. It is. Trust me. Because it's like, look, everyone was very surprised by the end of the first season because, like, what a twist. You took the main character and you fucking offed him, right? But when that becomes the thing, then your show becomes so predictable. The show is so predictable because I just started saying things. I was like, oh, yeah, that like and they're like, nobody's safe in Game of Thrones. And it's like, actually, the bad guys are always safe. Like you've just taken all you've done is very obviously taken the the like, you know, you know how in like Star Wars, pretty much the good guys will win and the bad guys won't. Like that's pretty much the, the framework of how that goes. All they did was flip it on its head. Uh, in a very obvious way, and that is Game of Thrones. And it's so boring. But then the reason why this came back around to Tucson Heat, or at least what we're talking about right now, is because they had source material for all but the last season, I think. I'm pretty sure that they just had like the books to go off for seasons one through seven. And then everyone says that eight is dog shit because no one had written an ending. So uh-huh. because no one had written an ending, as in the author hadn't written an ending, uh, and then the the like show creators for the first time had to like write an ending and they were ending a series that had been created and like by somebody else and they just didn't know how to do it. So all of a sudden characters are doing stuff that they would never do. Characters are just like doing these complete flips and persona like things are just occurring and that's just kind of how the show wraps up. Right. And like decisions are being made that just don't really make any sense and all that kind of stuff. Like that's just kind of at one point in time. I didn't I didn't watch it. Like I obviously I stopped at season five and just like let it go because I didn't give a shit anymore. But evidently there was also like continuity errors. There was like a Starbucks cup in a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember that. You remember that. Yeah. So it's like they didn't have an ending in mind. I think the show creators were just like. Oh, yeah, that fucking guy, that George R. R. Martin guy, he'll finish it first and then we'll just do whatever he did. So they didn't have an ending in mind. And then therefore, because the writer is a lazy fucking dude who doesn't write. He like writes one book every four years or something like that, which is like, man, it's just the royalties from the show. He doesn't need to write a book anymore. Like, why would he? Um, Well, apparently they're very uh, thick books, though. Yeah, agreed. I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to discredit that, but it's like. I can't imagine a time where I would be comfortable that this because the show is way bigger than the books. The the show like totally eclipsed the books. So first of all, having to live in a space where my creative work is more popular in a medium that I didn't do it in, 
But like he probably definitely was like a technical or like a what do they call that when uh, you're like an advisor on a movie? A consultant. An advisor? Yeah, a consultant. <laughs> I mean, he was definitely like a consultant on the show and stuff like that. But it's like, first of all, and then second of all, why would you let somebody else? Because no matter what, you can write another fucking book right now. But what's the ending of Game of Thrones people are going to think of? Like, right. Well, I, I think my at personal this, at the same time there, I think there's something to be said about someone taking a work that you created that was pretty popular on its own, mm-hmm. uh, taking okay. it, adapting it. it. It was pretty popular amongst the uh, fantasy crowd. See, but that sentence right there is the asterisk that invalidates your whole because like popular against the show. No way. Well, no, it's like saying Harry Potter, uh, Harry Potter is popular. But it's popular among kids. No, Harry Potter is popular. Disagree. Firm disagree. This, you know what? <laughs> we can turn this into a. <laughs> no, it's just it's exactly like that. Uh, how old were you when the first Harry Potter book came out? Uh, you were like I was nine. 10. Yeah, so kid, you were a kid. Mm-hmm. It's something you grew up with. Same thing with these books. So it had this built-in audience, and that was presented in a platform that brought in that audience. Mm-hmm. And if if you it does, I understand it taking time to actually sit down and write something to create a world, uh, especially with characters. Like every chapter is a different character in those right. books. Yeah, there's a million know? characters. That's true. And so keeping all those characters, uh, the like their timelines, their choices, their decisions, like keeping all that in line in your head takes time. Mm-hmm. And you have to go back and check. It's like, oh, what did I write in book number two and book yeah. number six? I don't know what how many books there are. Me neither and do I. I. <laughs> and I understand the the process that it's gonna. It takes a lot to figure that out. So I understand yeah. why it would take four years to write a book. No, 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 no. I have no problem with taking four years to write a book. That, but then, but then on top of that, your your thing that you made that was you know concealed in this tight little bubble that you could comprehend in your head has been mm-hmm. blown up to a worldwide phenomenon yeah yeah so in your head you're just thinking i'm writing this for myself and maybe a few other people that's when you first start writing something that's what usually it is going through your head but now you're writing something for a kajillion people and you're not done yet and everyone's built it up to be this great thing with great stories and characters that everybody seems to enjoy and want to keep watching yeah and now all that pressure is on you when your process is already slow to process that pressure and also process how you gonna how are you gonna conclude this series on your terms mm-hmm. with the weight of the world basically staring at you. Right, but that's the that's that's exactly the part then that mystifies me because okay, so I agree. I've never written a written a book, much less anything longer than a blog post. So I don't really have to give a shit about anything that goes on after that. Um But to that point, that's the part that mystifies me is that why would you let somebody else, some other people write an ending to your work? Because if it was me, if it was me, I would be okay with that because then I could see what everybody get what everybody gets pissed off at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess. So now he's just going to do something that's not like the book. But the thing is, is that. I would or he's going to do something exactly like the books because it or, sounds I mean, like I mean, not like the, the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, but I would wager that more people have watched the show than will read the books. Right. Well, if they got if it sparked this much. Uh, uh, vitriol. Mean vitriol. Thank you. Uh, why wouldn't people go out and read this book now? It'll yeah, probably I mean, be the highest question. selling book because a larger audience is going to, they know the characters, they know what they sound like. Mm. Yeah. It might be an easier read for people. I feel like fantasy books are hard to read because fantasy books are harder. I've never been really into them. Cause there's always like this, there's magic, there's trails, there's languages, there's yeah. new places that don't exist. And it's, it's hard for me to grasp all these different worlds that people create. But I feel like now that people have a visual understanding of what characters are, what places look like, it'll be an easier read for a larger audience. That's probably true. Maybe I'm just hating, but uh, my other problem with fantasy books in general is most of them are like, it's not a real timeline, obviously, because it's not really, it never really happened, but they're all period pieces. It's like the same thing. It's my problem with like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that is that they're all, you know, in this time when everyone wore corsets and said, 
dost thou think that hot, you know, whatever. It's like, I don't, I just, oh, it drives me so fucking crazy. I can't listen to people talk like that. And I don't like reading it. Um, the exception obviously is the Count of Monte Cristo. It's kind of like that. You know, they, they definitely, it's a lot like that. It's a period piece. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they definitely, they definitely speak in that ma- manner, like doing soliloquies and shit like yeah. that. And we now call this segment a Tish puts his foot in his mouth again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Well, if I get really desperate for reading material, uh, I guess I'll maybe I'll pick up Game of Thrones. I'll see. I'll see what all the hype is about, because I, I'll put it this way. Did not care for the show. Didn't care for the show. Didn't like it. Thought it was boring. That's it. Yeah. I never saw it. Yeah. That's that's because you're winning. That's because uh, you just. uh watch movies about blind samurai over and over again, (laughs) over and over again. Exactly. (laughs) Oh man. Well, so to give an update, not that, you know, I I doubt anyone is asking for this, but I tried something a little bit different this week. uh, Were you passive aggressive? I was not passive aggressive actually. And this sounds like not a very good strategy for, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or whatever. Uh, but I tried just caring less a little bit this week. And let me explain why. It's because I'm getting all bent out of shape and I'm losing effectiveness by being all like angry and upset about things that are happening and all this kind of stuff. And like, you know, specifically last week, I think we were talking about um, interactions or rather lack thereof in terms of interactions with some uh, co-worker. I don't know if you really call him a co-worker, more like a boss type person upper management yeah upper management uh like not really uh working well with with a member of upper management and then not like uh, like i also was just like should i talk to this person should i like not confront this person but rather like should i hit this head on and just like address it or should i not or all this kind of stuff i just had to kind of put all that stuff to the side this week i was just like you know what I'm just going to do my job and I'm just going to do it well. I, I think that sometimes me being a little too invested in things um, like is is what's actually causing me more harm than good. It's it's a good thing that I'm always pretty motivated to go the extra mile and do more and all this kind of stuff. But like if it's not serving you in any sort of way, then maybe it's best to just like take some time and evaluate where you're at and just kind of think about those sorts of things. So I just started being a little less emotionally invested um, in work, basically. Like just just to try it out, just to like feel, feel it out. And um, it was a struggle uh, to not not like be emotionally like basically like not that I'm taking my foot off the gas because that wouldn't be true at all. But I just am trying really hard not to have an emotional tie to what I'm doing in in that sort of sense. And I don't know if that's viable as an option for an all the time thing, but I think it certainly was helpful just to kind of like reset the table for this week and, and be like, I'm why am I I'm not trying to be the CEO of this company anyways. Like what what is the end goal here and what and what am I trying to accomplish? And then that kind of set the tone for what my output should be or what my emotional connection to what I'm doing. If you're trying to be the president of this company, if you're trying to be the CEO of this company and you're trying to climb the ladder and get to the top, then, yeah, you probably have to be invested in all that kind of shit. And you have to be really worried about what your image is within the and all that kind of stuff. But since that's not my goal, you know. It's good. It's income. I, I mm. enjoy the job. I enjoy problem solving and it really, you know, gives me a whole lot. But, you know, how did, gonna... how did that go? How did not being emotionally invested? Uh, well, <clears throat> it was really difficult for me not to be emotionally invested. Turns out my default mode is to be emotionally invested right. heavily in everything. <laughs> yeah. I know we had to restart the podcast because of some recording issues, but you do usually run at 26 with your emotions. Yes, Chris. <laughs> Chris is referring to lyrics in a song that I made the mistake of showing him. I don't even know how many years ago now. And he won't let it go. Won't let it go. 
<laughs> Won't let I'll it put go. a link to the song in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, it's if you think it has some masterful guitar work in it, and if you think that a certain somebody may or may not have been robbed out of credit of that, then, you know, just just put a <laughs> put a comment in the in the feed or like, comment, subscribe to it. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna just gonna start like talking shit on the podcast about something <laughs> that happened nearly ten years ago. Can you fucking believe that? I believe it. Yeah, I was just Wait. thinking about something the other day that was a long time ago. Oh, I got reached out to by my senior high school president. What? Because it's time for my twenty year high school reunion. No fucking way. This is the year. Yeah, this is twenty years. Holy hell. Yeah. That's that's insane. How does uh? What do you think? Uh, I I have to go. There's only like 18 of us in the class. What? Why? What school did you go to? I went to a small private school. We've talked about this. Oh yeah 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 yeah. This was pre Alaska. Yeah. I uh post Alaska. Post Alaska. Uh, yeah, I was uh I was five when I moved down to Tucson from Alaska, but I mm. spent my summers up there, my winters in Arizona. So summers in Alaska, winters in Arizona. Got growing it. up. And uh, so I went to school here and spent my summers up there. I was a young snowbird, hmm. but I went to a small private school up on the northwest side of Macleod Heart, and there were 21 people in our graduating class. Yeah. Wow. So, <laughs> so basically, if you don't go, that's a significant portion of the population not attending. Right. But apparently, a lot of us are not on social media anymore, so it's hard to find any of us now i think she's found like four people yeah so and, you go so if yeah. you don't go 25 percent of the people attending won't be there exactly exactly but uh, when we had our tenure everybody showed up and, and even kids that like left throughout the school the four years that went to huh. other schools mm-hmm. uh, we had a large crowd show up i think the only person that didn't show up was uh like stuck in indonesia or something like that because oh, they were yeah. from indonesia so they were oh, studying okay, okay, uh, okay, okay. in America. Yep. Got it. I thought you meant like stuck in Indonesia, like the, you know, McAfee guy or McAfee guy or whatever the hell it is who like basically can't come back to the States. <laughs> oh, did you finally watch that documentary? I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's gross. It's gnarly. Dude, what a weird dude. Like that. That's just beyond. Yeah. That guy is super weird. Yeah. Also, uh, just a weird another since we're on a tangent, I want to go on another tangent. I had to okay. dream about you last night. Oh, my God. And I think it kind of relates to this conversation. About McAfee? No, about you and work. Uh, Oh, Uh, sure. The dream, like you were freaking out because you found out that you were not who you are. Like you're not a Tish. Another guy shows up claiming to be a Tish. And it was like a weird switched at birth situation. And you were not taking it well. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. I have no idea why I had that dream last night. Maybe it's because I was trying to think about what we should talk about on the podcast. Well, first of all, obviously, it means that you and I are like soulmates. We're obviously connected by something. Didn't you watch Interstellar? Love is the only thing that transcends space and time or whatever the fuck she said. We're playing the the bass strings of time between Tucson and Phoenix. Uh, that's what we're doing yeah yeah exactly dude it's like obviously we're soulmates so let's just fucking open that up and and get that out of the way but second of all it's uh it's an interesting concept because it's uh what it reflects is a um battle within myself to figure out who the real atish is and and how it pertains to this work situation is that like is the person like are the things that I'm doing at my job and I'm doing some real interpretation here so it might not be the case because obviously this is dreamt up in your psyche not mine so that's kind of a it's an odd thing for me to assign labels to but my immediate reaction if I'm like trying to put a mirror up against it is that it's about me trying to figure out who the real me is and then specifically if it's placed in work it's me wondering if the stuff that i like who i am at work is reflecting the who i am who i want to be who like what i'm trying to do what i'm trying to accomplish and Uh that is exactly the question that i'm asking myself all the time all the time and i was also thinking about your situation at work this last uh week Mm-hmm. And just trying to think of what you were doing to deal with it. And I assumed you weren't going to kind of ignore it. I assumed you were going to take it more, a little more head on. Yeah. I mean, I definitely thought about that or like I was, I was definitely, you know, it's just, 
I don't know if it's my organization that I work at in particular, or if it's just this is the corporate world, and you would possibly know that more than I, although I think you've technically worked less corporate jobs than I have, or maybe the same amount. I'm not sure. Um, but it's just like there are these rules of engagement that seem so like they preach a whole like we expect everyone's honest feedback and we want to have tough conversations with each other to better each other and we always come with a thing of respect and whatever but it's like that's just not true it's just not true so it makes it kind of difficult to have these what they call like managing up which is where you have a conversation with someone who's above you and you're giving them feedback and saying like hey this isn't the best way to go about this or you know it really xyz when you tell me something like that you know whatever it's you're, we're supposed to be able to manage up, but it's just like the the environment is not friendly towards that sort of thing. Like it's not. They they say that it is, but it's not. So, right. Well, this is. Uh, I don't have a lot of corporate experience, mm-hmm. but I have some, and I have a lot of experience working on, let's say, different film sets. So it's a lot mm-hmm. of different dynamics to work in. And I can tell you this: if you take all emotion out of your job and work, you're not going to do a good job. Mm. And you're not going to be someone that people want to work with. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I didn't think that I did a good job this week. Well, you probably didn't because you probably, probably did. your heart wasn't in it. Yeah, because your exactly. heart was probably not in it. I have a friend, uh, you know, him. Uh, he does audio work mm-hmm. and you could tell when his heart is not in it. It's just like, go home because what you're making is garbage and it's not mm. benefiting anybody. And you're it's, just making yeah. everybody look bad. It's just like more of a hindrance than it is actually a help at that point. Right. Because I, I feel like the emotion and energy you put towards your job, if you care about it, even a little bit, shows yeah. to everybody. I remember yeah. uh, back in 2006, I was working at Channel 4, and we had just switched from standard definition broadcasting to HD. We were the first new station to do that in Southern Arizona mm-hmm. back wow. in 2006. And I remember... I always joked with the boss. I always made fun of him to his face, and he thought I was being sincere. Jeez. What? And so it really benefited me. It allowed me to get promoted quickly because he thought. And it was always, I don't know, it was always dumb things like, uh, can you believe the, the Dolphins this last weekend? They put that guy in instead of this other guy. And I would always be like, yeah, what were they thinking? And then like we would leave the room and that was the whole conversation, but I was still on his good side because I was agreeing with his dolphin conversation. Yeah. Not not amphibians. But um, (laughs) at the first broadcast, I remember the only thing I was running audio for the first broadcast. And the only thing I cared about was the music at the end. Mm. We called it a TC. And usually when you have time, but we didn't have time because... It was running last minute, uh, obviously, of course. And uh, usually they give you like a 30-second TC, so it's already timed out. So at 30 seconds before the the end of the show, you hit this button, and the music plays, and it ends beautifully Mm -hmm. when this show goes out. Uh, Because it was a brand new day and a brand new song, they got it last minute. It was like the, the thing was a minute and 46 seconds. And so I had to time it. I had to figure out when the show was ending at like 10... 37, mm-hmm. 42, I had to like figure out the proper time, time to yeah. hit this TC. And it was the only thing I cared about for the entire <laughs> news broadcast. And so when I hit that TC at the proper time and it ended beautifully, I got really excited and I threw my hands up in the air. Yeah. And what's crazy about that is it's the end of the first newscast done in HD. And so nobody else was excited that we nailed the first newscast except for me because I hit the TC. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I hit the I hit the TC. I didn't say I hit the TC. I was just like excited to myself that I hit the music properly. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and then it kind of started a delayed reaction to the fact that we finished the first newscast and nobody else was excited. Everybody was like, oh, fine. We finally get to go home. They made me come in on a Sunday because they premiere new sets on Sundays for some reason. <laughs> and uh, and it made me look better than I actually cared about the job. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, you know it, what I'm like, saying? Yeah, in a weird sort of sense, it's you cared a lot about 
the function that you are performing in, in like or or at least like that part you just wanted executed perfectly but your outward appearance made it seem as though you really gave a shit about like the mission of the the thing exactly like, this is our first exactly. broadcast in hd let's bring a good show like you <laughs> and this this progressed i mean that's this is around the same time i was having these football conversations with the boss i was mm-hmm. getting along with everybody and the news in the control room Whereas, you know, there all were people there that were there for 15, 20 years and they all had animosity towards each other because if you're stuck in a tiny room, the same four people five days a week, you get annoyed with them. But I was getting along with everybody and it just it allowed me to progress quickly inside the company, you know, getting promoted whenever a new position was available. Mm-hmm. And it was insane the uh, amount of progress I made in 18 months that I was working there. Yeah. And so I feel like if you take all emotion out of your worth work ethic one work's not gonna be fun anymore it's true two you're not gonna do a good job also true three you're gonna be someone nobody wants to work with mm-hmm. and four you're just gonna eat more you like do more snacking mm-hmm. and you know and you have already spend 100 bucks a week on groceries yeah which evidently is is a major miss in your eyes but uh, uh Frankly, imagine, imagine spending 130 bucks because of all the Funyuns you buy. Ah, uh, yeah, all those Funyuns. Yeah, no, uh, I guess that's a that's a. You that's say Funyuns? Yeah, Funyuns. Fun Funyuns. Thank you. God, Jesus. You know, <laughs> speaking of people we don't like to work with. Um, <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. You're you're absolutely right. Like, uh, it. It was just, it was an experiment just to see if I could like basically leave more on the table for myself personally, like more energy and more, you know, that kind of stuff. But it really just made the week like more of a drag than I think it normally is in the sense that like it, it removed all this, um, it removed all this tension I have with other people in the sense that like I was always getting aggravated about, um, I was always getting aggravated about people like, like I'm about to sign off for the day. It's four something, you know, it's closing in on five. I've been on since 7am and I don't take a lunch break or anything like that. So I'm, I'm always consistently doing like nine or 10 hour days. And then right at the end of the day yesterday, somebody reached out and said they needed something that same night. But what they don't realize is that, yeah, you need something tonight and you will, and you need it right now. The day before it was somebody else, the day before it was somebody else, and the day before that it was somebody else. Like I'm always having to do these. So I tried to just like be emotionless about it. And it helped in that sort of sense, in the sense that I wasn't getting aggravated or as frustrated about things as I normally am. But um you're right. It did A make the time of the week just go on and just drag because it's just like it it was difficult to not like get that emotional investment. And then B, I just entirely stopped um, having the same kind of like internal drive that I normally have at work that, that enables me to do things well. And without that, it just like, it was just climbing or what is the phrase, uh, that, uh, I'm, I'm pulling it up from the memory banks. It's from blade, <laughs> um, where he Here's- says, uh, some, uh, some, <laughs> what does he say? some motherfuckers always be ice skating uphill. That's what it felt like. It felt like ice skating uphill this week. So, but it did give me more time back in a sense to really work on the things like here's, here's kind of the general question I had for you this week, just in general, because we hear about, you know, like I, I feel like social media does a good job in some respects, but it does a poor job in others. We end up seeing a whole lot of like, you know, um, work hard, play hard. Like I'm this person, like, look at my chase Sapphire preferred card and like all this kind of stuff. Like it's all the trappings of being young and successful and, uh, an entrepreneur and all that kind of stuff. Like you get that in social media, but what you don't see is the very like unsexy things behind the curtain that has to get done in order for you to live that kind of way or in order for you to do any of those kinds of things. Do Do you know what I mean? Like, like it doesn't just materialize except, I, you know, all these people. Basically, I've been following a lot of people on Instagram just to watch what they do. Like um, these guys who are like, oh, I'm an Amazon drop shipping expert, you know, whatever. Here's my ebook and here's how I've made like they're posting their earnings or their sales across weeks and stuff like that. And so like I'm watching this 
And all they're posting about is their, you know, vacations to Bora Bora and, you know, all the trappings that come with it. But it's like, it can't really be that easy, right? So so what is going on behind the curtain? So I turn that question back to you. Elephant Scout, you've been doing this individually, you know, for quite a while now. What are the things that you're doing behind the curtain that isn't present on your social media that are the ways that you are keeping on top of your game? Are you studying how people film things? Are you trying to film things better? Are you using different editing techniques? Are you, uh, are you, uh, like, I don't, I obviously don't know enough about (laughs) making movies. Are you, uh, taking like writing classes? Are you, uh, I mean, even just like watching or like in preparation for this, scripted podcast this is really the first time you've done something like that although one could say that uh the murder mystery night like live the the murder mystery night live uh act out was like vaguely kind of similar but like what are you doing in the background of uh your your normal day-to-day or all the stuff that's being posted on social media that's keeping you on top of your game i'm grinding i'm working hard and playing harder Grizzly Hill. No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's the Gary Vaynerchuk answer. Who, you know, honestly, he's getting a lot of ba- or not a lot of bad press, but he gets ribbed a lot on this podcast, which I feel bad about. But it's like Gary Vaynerchuk don't. was the first person that was my introduction into that kind of a thing, like a social media person who's saying like, you know, hustle pays off and kindness over everything and all that kind of stuff. So he was my first foray into that type of deal, but. I find his advice really just sort of empty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like one time yeah. he was telling somebody there was a TikToker who was in the audience of one of his lectures or whatever. I don't even know what those are really, but like at a conference that he was at or something. I don't know. Point being, the TikToker's like, you know, uh, oh yeah, I'm thinking about like transitioning to YouTube, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? You know, whatever, which is a seemingly innocuous question. And Gary V's answer was well you know put out the videos see what the traction is if it works great if it doesn't stay on tiktok it's like gee gary thanks for the insight like (laughs) i could have solved that one on my own like thank you for that so i just kind of feel like that's he has a lot of good mentality kind of things but he's not he's not really giving real pragmatic advice right but on the not to you know, back Gary V here, but there is something to be said that some people need to have permission to do things like that. Yes. Yes. So have, have Gary say, Hey, try it out. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like I'm one of those people. (laughs) Yeah. It kind of relieves that that's pressure you put on yourself to do something. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, what do I do behind the scenes? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing just as an outside observer, you stay like not not in the sense that you pack your days full of a bunch of bullshit like I do, because that's keeping yourself artificially busy. But you stay busy because you're going from, you know, you're doing the necessary corporate work to just pay the bills and do all that kind of stuff. But then you're kind of seamlessly transitioning from one project to the next. That's all directed towards the central mission that you have. And even when I think the biggest derailing that you've had in the past years, like the past three to four years or so was COVID. Like I think that was the biggest kind of, and it, and it also came simultaneously on the backs of, um, uh, on the backs of this, like simultaneously 2020 was like, we were really hitting a stride with COVID and then also being hit by this kind of, uh, uh, police brutality thing that was just was massive across the country and protests Uh and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that derailed you for the longest period of time that you have been in the past, like four to five years. I don't even know how long I've known you. I feel like it's at that amount, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could do the math, but yeah, let's let's not bother. Um, but the point being is that, like, I think that that's the longest that you've been derailed off projects because it was it was like kind of a double hit. It's like number one, how do we film anything safely, and number two, mm-hmm. the content, like the stories that you were planning on doing were a little tough to to negotiate during that time. Like it was a little tough to manage that. So I think that's the longest you've been derailed. So I think one of the things that you're really just in general good at is keeping busy, but not doing busy work, like keeping busy 
in an organic sense, like always having the next project loaded. Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, I, I don't think I'm busy. I feel like I am keeping busy because I feel like I haven't done anything in a while. <laughs> Like, that's just me, myself. That's how I think of myself. Yeah, because it's like you're literally releasing a scripted... Po- like, what are you talking about? You're li- <laughs> like, what do you but mean it, you haven't done anything in a while? <laughs> I haven't done anything in a while. But uh, I guess for me, behind the scenes, it's always about... I do a lot of... I spend a lot of time consuming stuff. Mm-hmm. So I like to... I, I'm not involved per se, but I'm very uh, nosy and Mm -hmm. observant and kind of stocky with the local like film community. And Uh what is everybody doing? What is everybody working on? And then I like to, you know, go to premieres. I like to watch people's movies that they filmed here. Yeah. See, see how it looks. How did this location look? How did, you know, these actors do, what does it look like? Like how, Mm -hmm. what did they not execute? Well, that makes us not benefit the local film community. I yeah. feel like if everybody in the film community executed their projects a little bit better, myself included, it would just elevate everybody in the community to be more than just independent filmmakers, amateur independent filmmakers, if that yeah. makes any sense. No, yeah. And so, uh, like, there's this new, there's this uh, movie that filmed here, I think, before COVID hit, and then they did pickups at the end of COVID. Mm-hmm. It's called Spiked. And they just... Spite? Spiked. Like, it's P-I-K. K-E-D. Okay, like like you spike a drink like that. Right, right. I think that's a uh, major plot point in the movie, but I'm, I can't tell from the trailer. Okay. Um, and the trailer looks fine. It doesn't look great, but it looks fine. I'm still. I'm probably going to watch it probably when they drop the price after being out for a couple of weeks. I'll probably wait on that one. Yeah. But there's this a scene in the trailer where they have like SWAT guys uh, break into a house mm-hmm. and not break into a house, but like do a raid on a house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, there's this one guy that does like a weird shuffle going into the house mm-hmm. and it just looks wrong. It just looks off. It looks like the guy has never entered a house before holding a gun. Yeah. It's a, it's like a continuity thing because it's like, okay, this guy would have to be a SWAT team guy. Like there's no reason for him to look this awkward. Like, right, right. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I notice things like that because I feel like the second something small and tiny like that happens on a project, on a film, on a scripted podcast, that mm-hmm. if it's if it breaks one person away from the story, then it's 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 going to ruin it for like nine other people because mm-hmm. people will be like, oh, you see how funny that guy looked? And it just yeah. takes everybody out of the story. Yeah, in the moment. yeah. And that momentum you're trying to build. It just I try to avoid that, but it's really hard. So essentially you, I'm doing research. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, you're, I think, I feel like you're being a little sarcastic when you say that, but I think that's the honest to God truth. Like, uh, you are making sure you're perfectly aware of kind of the standards of the, um, like the standards of the field that you're in basically. And you're trying to observe like how people are doing things like what is something that is doing doing that well versus doing something that's I mean, it, it would be kind of like, um, I don't know who's a director you really like. I, I keep going back these days to I pretty much only pivot between Chris Nolan and uh, Fincher because those are the only ones that I know. But let's pick Fincher. The, yeah, it's like. If you don't think that he's constantly reading scripts and he's constantly watching movies, then that's kind of ridiculous, right? Like, it's like you have to be aware of what's going on and you have to be aware because you you can't develop mastery in a field in a vacuum. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way he got to be this good of a filmmaker without knowing you know, uh, like like even the basics of learning how to tell a good story, but then how does somebody tell a more complicated story? How does somebody like turn conventions on their head but still hit all the marks? How does somebody, you know, all that kind of stuff? It's like, like for instance, I just watched a mini documentary that was about the movie Zodiac, which is probably my favorite Fincher movie, and it um, he one of the reasons that the movie is so well made is because he. Uh, 
like people who lived through the events, because uh, whether you may or may not know, it's like the Zodiac was pretty poor at killing the men because he wasn't focused on killing men. He was primarily focused on killing the females, the men in the interaction. Typical sexist America, but we won't go into that. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, the so there were some of the guys worked as consultants on the film and they were like, man, the scene is perfect. Like it, this is exactly how it happened. This is exactly. So it's, you know, Fincher must be a good student of learning about events or learning about something and then replicating that in a very like true sort of fashion, but also in one that's entertaining and looks good on screen and all that kind of stuff. So he's basically able to take reality, which we know is, you know, it is what it is. It's somewhat boring at times or it's not whatever. Right. And he's able to take, you know, uh, cinema, like whatever, you know, the things that you have to do to make a good and interesting movie. And he can blend the two and he's masterful at doing that. That doesn't happen by accident. You have to be a good student of, you know, storytelling in general. But you also have to be a good student of like interpreting the important you know, information out of, uh, out of news and out of whatever, like there's, there's kind of meta skills involved with that. So that's kind of the same thing that I'm saying to you is that there has to be, there's meta skills involved in you understanding the work of others, because I'm sure me watching a movie versus you watching a movie, we probably come out with two different things because it's like, I'm just kind of looking at, did I like the story? Did I not like the story? Did I like the way that the person executed the story? Did I ex- like all, all this kind of stuff? Right. But what uh-huh. I'm not looking at is, was that a good method that they used to interpret this event or to do that? Or like, how cohesive is this with the rest of the story and all this kind of stuff? Like, that's not something that I naturally look for. So those meta skills are built up in yourself. And just from a neuroscience perspective, which I'm sure will bore the shit out of everybody, but just from a neuroscience perspective, here's how we actually learn as people, right? We have this whole sophisticated set of, um, a whole sophisticated set of, uh, cells in your brain that are called mirror neurons. And what these do is they mimic the pattern of firing. So if I'm watching, uh, you like throw a ball, right? So this is how children really learn essentially, but it it gets extrapolated into everything. If I see you throw a ball, my brain can start firing in a relatively the same pattern as if I was throwing the ball myself. So if I watch you do it a bunch of times and then I practice throwing a ball, I'm I'm basically taking that same firing pattern and now I'm just running the same course over and over and over again until now it's way more easy. Like my brain knows how to do that effectively. So similarly... I mean, you kind of said research as if you were joking, but it's like, well, you actually kind of are because you're you're able to figure out what works and what doesn't at a level that I cannot. I w- I don't think I was joking, but oh. but but it's uh, you know, that's one part of it is you know watching other people do their craft and learning from it. Mm-hmm. But but it also applies to social media and what happens on Instagram, what happens on Twitter, what mm-hmm. are bigger companies. How are they promoting their movies mm-hmm. on social media? How are trailers looking nowadays? How are Sony? How is Sony posting about Spider-Man this next week? I don't know. I need to look it up. I need to see what they're doing. I need to see what's you know not really trending, but what's what are some uh, relatable things to a broader audience? Like if I were to post a poster that looks like uh, Batman Begins but it's for my short downshift mm-hmm. and it's cause the dirt is flying and it's like in Batman begins, the bats were flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. If I do that, uh, our people are, are going to know, Oh, this is probably a cool movie because they have that subconscious relation in their mm-hmm. head going on. I'm sure it's their cells firing in a way that happened 19 years ago. I don't know how long ago it was. Definitely could have been. Yeah. <laughs> Given that you're coming on 20 years since high school, I mean, yeah. could be, right? When did um, Batman Begins come out? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. No, that's 
I mean, I think that's a really good answer because that's ultimately what we are trying to do in a, in a really zoomed out kind of perspective. But are we not trying to emulate the work of other? Like, I think that that's kind of part of the process, right? It is even though you don't want to overtly copy anyone else's thing or you don't overtly want to do the same thing as somebody else, the way that you learn how to do these things is by like, I, I don't know, uh, I think you've alluded to the fact that, you know, early on one of your earlier projects right out of film school or maybe during it was a Western. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's probably because I like I would imagine you probably watched some Westerns, right? You were like or you were interested in the concept somehow. The idea of I guess for me doing a Western, I just wanted to be different. I didn't want to do some sad college movie about (laughs) prostitutes and. French assassins. I mean, that's a very popular topic. Yeah. Prostitutes and French assassins. Yeah. Black and white subtitles. Yeah. Oh, especially back then. It was very cliche. I definitely did my cliche projects for sure. But uh, at at that point of school, I was like, I got to be a little different. I got to stand out a little bit. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and that's sort of, that's sort of where we find ourselves first is just in that emulation point. Like, so for instance, my version of what you're talking about. So this is what I'm doing to like always kind of keep myself perpetually on my game, so to speak. I read a lot of books. Like I just, and I've realized that that in a sense is a superpower in and of itself. Like it is it because it gives you reference points to everything. It's kind of like the way that you have reference points to everything in the world of film and that sort of stuff, which I just don't like, I just don't have all these reference points, but you're able to make your point clearly and effectively because you have all this reference outside, you know, the kind of stuff that you want something to look like, and you know what you don't want it to look like, you know, that you don't want to do uh, uh, a cliche black and white film about prostitutes or French uh, whatever the fuck you said, assassins anymore. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to do that anymore. Right. But like, I lack these, these frames of references, but then I just get all this kind of stuff that I'm able to make analogies to, or all that kind of stuff. I'm able to figure out I'm, I'm reading, uh, right now I'm reading this book called, um, shoe dog. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. Do I want to hear of it? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, shoe dog is about the creators of Nike. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So I've been reading, I've been picking up a lot more like kind of business biography books recently because I'm interested in figuring out how people figured out. Like, I think we've talked about this on an, a pretty early CSS podcast, but I'm great at execution, but I'm pretty poor at kind of having this imagination that that ends up getting like part of what makes Elon Musk so fascinating. His biography is next uh, on the list. Part of what makes Elon Musk so fascinating is that like he just gets out of his own way and thinks about big ideas. And then he's like, you know, because that's he's executing on SpaceX simultaneously as the boring company is drilling holes under Los Angeles for quicker, you know, transport or transport, like more yeah. traffic. Simultaneously, he's working on Tesla cars. And it's not that he like he unlike myself, because I'd be like, oh, I need to know everything about all these cars and I need to own all this. Like, I'm sure that he knows a whole lot about all of those things. But he also gets out of his own way to just do those things. Like he's just a thinker. He's just a dreamer. He just, you know, like thinks up these things and then is curious enough to try them. Whereas I fail at that part, kind of, I'm good at execution. Once I have a mission, I'm good at, I'm like a pit bull. I don't open the jaws. I just keep going. But the problem is, is that if I don't open up these lanes of like, you know, having an idea, being curious about that idea, and then just going for it, just doing that, that's sort of the part that's missing, that imagination and that kind of like, I, I call it like, what if mentality. You know what I mean? Like, oh, what what if I did create a, you know, billion dollar company or something? Right, like, right. I think that that's one of the clear defining differences between um, people who, quote unquote, make it and those who might not. And unfortunately, I find myself on the other side of the spectrum. So one of the things I do to help myself with that, especially when the doubt gets pretty large and especially when uh, I'm just like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm packing a bunch of like... <laughs> mushrooms and ashwagandha and like all kinds of other stuff into into (laughs) pill capsules at my kitchen table you know it's like what the fuck am i doing 
I pick up a book that's about these types of things and I just like try and figure out like how can I learn from these people like how can I I so I'm doing basically the same thing right I'm I'm in the sense that I'm watching somebody else and at least at first I have to emulate a part of it not the work I'm not going to try and make my own electric vehicle or anything like that I'm not emulating that I'm not going to make my own sneakers but I'm emulating the the mentality and also the steps that they take in order to get from point A to point B and then from point B just a little bit farther and a little bit farther and a little bit farther. And that's just been one of the things that's really kind of transitioned for me this year as opposed to previous years where I, you know, would have an idea, never run with it. The one that makes me the most, um, there's actually been two great ideas that I've had that have been acted on first. Uh, and that makes me realize that like, I should have just done it. Like mm-hmm. if somebody else is had the same idea and is doing it, then that means that there is enough of a reason that you should have been like, I should have just had the idea and gone with it. The first was a uh, hot chicken food truck in Tucson. Yep. That's a big thing now. There's like, yeah. Do you them. remember that was my idea first? No, I don't, but I believe what? you. Yeah, <laughs> I believe you. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. Does this hot chicken place in Tucson, do they serve sweet tea? Cause that was going to be my thing. I was going to do hot chicken, sweet tea. Yeah, they do. Fuck. Yeah. So just saying that was my idea first and I should have done something about it. Didn't. The second idea is a little bit on a grander scale. And I actually was looking at, um, property here in, um, in Phoenix on doing it. And now I see a competitor has reared their head and I'm trying to decide because I have a potential partner in this, like, cause I just don't have the finances for it, but I have a potential partner in this and they were really excited and they were trying to like move on it. But then they sent me an image of somebody else who's opening up something similar. So now the decision is, do we want to do it anyways or do we not? Right. And this is, uh, not to, uh, you know, I don't want to give away all the secret sauce here, but did you know, I think we might've talked about this. Did you know that, uh, Phoenix slash Scottsdale always ends up on just about every list of the top five dog friendly cities in the United States? I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Right. Like people love yeah. dogs. I, th- I think the same thing is true for Tucson. I think the Tucson population is just so much smaller so you can't, it doesn't equal this. Do you see, see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But did you also know that um, there's not a single indoor dog park in Phoenix, Arizona, despite the fact that it gets over um, 100 degrees. 190 degrees. Yeah, it'll. I mean, it'll be probably meeting 100 in the next three to four weeks, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. easy. We're already hitting 85 in the daytime, if not 90, right? So it's it's climbing up there. So there's no indoor dog park, so everybody is basically relegated to going early, early in the morning or going late at night. I've seen that somebody else uh, has just started putting out Instagram stuff that they're opening an indoor dog park way on the other side of town. Mine had a lot more ambition and a lot more extra stuff in there. I'm not going to say what, just in case my competitors ever pick up this podcast. I don't want them to know all the, all the good shit that I, w- I was planning on having in mind. Mine is a more complex thing. That said, there's the, reading time for all the dogs. Yeah. There's, there's mandatory business books on how yeah, to we read themselves. We read them shoe dog, <laughs> <laughs> which has nothing to do with dogs. Um, Yeah, no, but but that was basically my idea. And now I'm grappling with the fact that, you know, the startup capital that we would have had to have raised was close to one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So I was planning on just like, yeah, this will be future. This is five years. But now if somebody's already come to the same idea and they're executing on it sooner, it's like, well, fuck, should I go on this sooner? Well, I think it's uh, one of those ideas. It's kind of like fitness. How everybody's like a personal trainer now. Right, selling plans and stuff, but uh, on their Instagrams. But I feel like it's going to be one of those things that everybody needs because a lot of people have dogs, uh, particularly in that area. So I don't see how it could be bad not to do it or how it could be bad to do it sooner than later. Yeah. There's always going to be that need for it, even if it's not immediate, you know. 
the thing. So, so I guess that's also what I'm, I'm trying to do with like entrepreneurship in a general sort of sense is that I'm trying to be more like, this is what I'm trying to do to quote unquote, keep me on my edge or like the unsexy thing that I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to allow myself to be more free with ideas. You know what I mean? Because I've said this last episode, I said it the one before that. And I said it the one before that I'm a recovering academic. I don't have the belief. Like I don't intrinsically, I don't have the belief that I can pull something off. I think that I'm, you know, Oh, I need to get another degree and then sit in a job for 40 years. Like that's basically the mentality that I'm still sitting with to some degree. Uh, let me ask you this. Sure. Uh, what do you like actively do? What like, do you mean? Like, like it sounds like you're absorbing a lot of information, <laughs> but how do you actively apply that to your ideas or anything? Uh, I mean, the only thing that I really have any active movement on, like in, in that sort of sense is flow roll. Like the so only thing God, I, what I'm hearing from straw dog and Elon Musk is that they're always working on things. Yeah. Multiple things. Yeah. Very and, true. And uh, this is something that I've learned this last year. This is a thing I want to implement this year is I don't want to do one project at a time anymore. Mm. I'm working with two other people. There's three of us. We need to be working on three projects. Huh. And so I'm, I, I, I'm going to wrap up this podcast in a couple of weeks. What are we doing after that? Is it going to be just one more project and we just do one project at a time every two years? Or can we do three projects at a time? And kind of get this ball rolling and grow and be bigger, be more ambitious than, let's say, local competition. Mm-hmm. Everybody's always focused on trying to get one movie made. I want to get three movies made. Yeah. This is this is why these three movies need to be made right here, right now. That's why we need a larger budget versus a tiny budget to do a maybe project. That might be right. Fun. Like, no, I need three big projects with big money. So it's a bigger risk, bigger reward type of situation. Yeah. So I'm wondering if there's something you could do to kind of like up your game a little bit. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. That's exactly because flow roll is where it is. And I'm very actually proud of where it is right now because it's, it's already better intrinsically than any of my other ideas just because it has execution behind it. And I actually have some product market fit in the sense that, and it's all over your kitchen table. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, but it has like product market fit in the sense that, uh, you know, I actively have people in the, who would be in my market segment that I'm trying to address who actually are using it now. And some people even regularly. So it's like, oh shit, this is the, like, this is the craziest thing. This is the first time this has happened for me, but you're right in the sense that I do have a tendency. It's, it's kind of like how people, uh, I've started reading more about stocks and shit like that, which I still don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me, but yeah. <laughs> it's like everyone always says the same phrase. You have to diversify your portfolio because you can't have all your eggs in one basket. Say you work for a company and all you do is invest your money in that company's stock. Well, now if you get fired and that, like, let's say the company goes through some hard years, they have to do a reduction in force and their stock has been tanking. You just fucked yourself twice because you right, put all your money right. into that. And so similarly, it's like, I maybe should think about the way that you are is I should think about diversifying my portfolio in that sense, but my portfolio of projects and like my work, because therefore I am t- like, like you said, I'm elevating to a new level of the game. I'm, I'm, I'm not just working on single streams. I'm thinking big and I'm executing on everything. Yeah. Like that's, that's an intriguing idea. So, yeah. So maybe finally put out your, how to decaffeinate yourself. But, yeah, that's true. I'm uh, actually going through the process again right now, and uh, it's been smooth. So I have a I have a pretty good decaffeination process, but it does rely on a couple things like, you know, uh, you have to make sure already that you're drinking like more than eight glasses of water a day. Oh, that sounds tough. Is that your whole book? Your whole process? Drink nine glasses of water a day. No, my process is a complete, you immediately go cold turkey off of coffee or energy drinks or anything like that, because even though it's going to suck and you are going to substitute with something else, you have to get, you can't do this thing where it's like, oh, I'm just going to have 
one cup of coffee a day because it's like then when you're dragging ass, you're going to be like, oh, well, I haven't had two cups of coffee in, in a while. Let me have another cup. And you're you're still creating this dependency on something that you need to eliminate immediately. You eliminate that immediately. You start to get some uh, see. And this is again, this goes right back to like supplementation and stuff like that, because it's like I just that's one of the few things that I have like such experience and just like a masterful control over, which is like, look. Get yourself a little L-theanine, get yourself some green tea and like green tea, I think has the lowest or white tea might, uh, has the lowest caffeine content of anything like any, uh, uh, caffeinated beverage essentially by and large. I mean, of course there are probably like some super green teas or like matcha or some shit like that that will still rock your world. But the point being is that you basically substitute in, you can even start with black tea, which is kind of heavily caffeinated but it's still 84 milligrams compared to 120 or so in a cup of coffee um and you basically get yourself into a rhythm where you're like basically time releasing while taking l-theanine and drinking a ton of water as well as eating apples or anything anything that's rich in vitamin c and you're really able to kind of curb your need for the stuff by the time you hit around day three or day four, you are going to experience headaches. It is going to be uncomfortable. But by that point, you're already really over the major hump. And now you drop your tea intake, you drop everything else until you get to about day seven. Day seven, um, you are pretty much over the really worst part of the symptoms. And now it's just all about maintenance and really closing yourself out. You drop that caffeine take, intake even more. You increase the water intake um, and you can substitute with other stuff if you want. But essentially by day 14, if not sooner, you have complete adrenal reset, which means that now if you drink a Diet Coke, you're going to feel all perked up and all that kind of stuff. I'm not one of these people who believes that uh, you know, oh, just get yourself down to, you know, one cup of this or whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. I want to go so deep into the adrenal reset that even a soda will make me be like, oh, shit, like I'm I'm feeling good. Like, you know, whatever. That's where you want to get to. Complete reset. Yeah, you should definitely put that in your book and then help self-publish that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I've got the other steps as well. Like I've also got like a, an accompanying um workout program because you basically lose all motivation if you're as caffeine addicted as i have been in the past you lose all motivation to do anything or you can't do anything without stimulants so i also have a way because your body naturally creates endorphins during workouts and all that kind of stuff or as a result of exercising so i've got some light workouts that you do when you're first really curbing the caffeine so you kind of create this inverse graph Maybe I should make a graph and put that in the book. <laughs> yeah, and then people can actually see it versus this podcast. But yeah. I think what I think what it comes down to is just being more active in ideas. I think being yeah. active and, and learning how to actually execute things. I feel like yeah. the act of doing something is when you learn more versus uh, reading about someone else that did it. I feel like that's when you learn a lot more, which is why I think you need to address your work situation head on. Yeah. Yeah, learning how to deal with that is going to be a learning experience that's going to benefit you in the future, for sure. Okay. Because yeah, obviously, so ignoring it didn't work. No, did not work. Did not work. Did not have yeah. a good week, to be right. honest with you. Yeah. Chris Scott, anything to plug? Uh, check out my podcast, Tucson Heats. Uh, please like and review and uh, follow me on social media at Elephant Scout. Perfect. Uh, follow me on social media at Atish Mazish. Um, that's pretty much it for the time being. If you think I'm playing this work situation completely all wrong, why don't you uh, shoot me a DM and <laughs> tell me tell me the way I should be. Is, is Chris right? Should I be uh, handling this uh, head on, as he said, or, or you know, whatever? Uh, am I avoiding conflict? How would you handle it? Shoot me a message. Let's find out. Uh, otherwise, if not, until next time, this has been a great Robin Profitable.